Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I miss you, man. I miss you, man. We missed you, Cam. I missed you, buddy old pal of shining buds. <laughs> I miss you, I miss you, man, do I miss you, I miss you, man, I miss you, I miss you, man, do I miss you. Well, welcome everybody to I Miss You, man. My name is Lonnie. I'm here with Dylan. How are you doing, mate? Dylan? Oh, mate, fantastic, as always. Proud to be here. Glad to be here. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm pretty good too, mate. We've got a special guest, but before we get to him, Dylan, can you please remind us all what we're doing here today. Well, mate, normally the podcast is about you and me. Too many miss each other, take each other on a journey each week. It could be about anything. Life, pop culture, everything in between. But this series is our mega series where we go through, in chronological order, the filmography of the greatest actor to ever live in history, Christina Ricci. That's it. That's our favourite. And we're kind of going back to the beginning, aren't we, Dylan, today? Mate, like the snake eating its tail, here we are again. It all began with the glorious speed racer, and we've zoomed around the track, and here we are. It's for a second lap now, aren't we, basically? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. of course. Our, our people tried to reach a deal with Christina's people. Um, there was a bit of back and forth, but sadly we couldn't reach a mutually beneficial agreement. But I think the special guest that we were able to secure is going to be even better. You've um, heard his voice. You might have known him from ABC Radio or Junkie or anything pop culture related. He's rather prolific on Twitter, though perhaps not quite as much on these days on X. Cameron Williams, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing very well, lads. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry my in, my my introduction was so chipper in the beginning because I'm trying to get into the speed racer mindset where you don't just talk to people; you really let them know uh, how much you feel about them uh, in terms of buddy o pals and uh, good, you know, all the all the different catchphrases you can throw into an introduction. Uh, that's kind of like the speed racer mindset. He's an interesting fellow old speed racer, isn't he? We'll get into it, I'm sure. Um, long-term listeners might have heard Cam on here before. House Hunters, one of our very first special episodes. That was a great time. And then also we looked at the UT, U2 free album. It was quite a journey. Um, it's our first guest for a while, though, talking about Christina Ricci. And we wanted to know where you're standing with Christina. Are you a fan? Are you not, not so into her? What's, what's the go, Cam? I'm a big Ricci fan. Uh, I'm not quite the Ricci heads that you guys are, but I remember her mainly from the film Mermaids, uh, which was a really big deal when I was younger because, like, that was one of the posters that they had up at my local video store. And I think, I guess, because it had Sher in it as well, that was, and I think also is Winona Ryder in Mermaids as well. It was like, it was like a triple threat. Yeah, it was like a triple threat movie. And also the song from that movie was a really big hit as well. And so it was kind of like everything kind of came together in that movie. So obviously I remembered her from that. And then obviously once Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values came along, it was just absolutely, it was like, yeah, she was one of the biggest. I'd say, like a lot of people forget, but I'd say at the time she was 
almost as famous as uh, what's her name, Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things mm. is now in terms of like yeah, sure. they're in a thing and suddenly they become a really breakout young star. I'd say that was kind of where Richie was at when I was a kid. And then obviously uh, Hocus Pocus was like just stratospheric. Once that came out, it was just like everyone was like, she's the one. Is that Casper, do you mean? Is, is she? In, oh, she's not She's not in Hocus Pocus, is she? She's in Casper. So. Oh, I've got my – see, this is what's going to get me. See, this is why I'm not on X anymore because I could go on there and send a – what do they call them? Zeets now. I could send a Zeet saying, oh, Christine Richie was great in Hocus Pocus, and then I'd just get burned burned down. I'd get chased out of the place with pitchforks. <laughs> That's okay. I can see the, the similar sort of movies. Um, yeah, and it's interesting that for someone to have such a high at the beginning of their career – um, and not that she hasn't been famous since then or hasn't been in good stuff. And I think like with Yellow Jackets recently, there's been a real resurgence, but it'd be weird to be an actor and, and everyone to know what you did as a kid. That was like ages ago, you know? Absolutely. And also like just with child actors too, it's just it's like you just every day, you're just waiting for the article to come out. That's like, this is what I went through. And you're just like, oh God, the, the entertainment industry is so broken in this respect. <laughs> Uh, but also, we're, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Yellow Jackets because it feels like the first wave of a Ricci comeback. Mm. I am waiting for her to appear in like a Tarantino or like a Scorsese. Mm. Sometimes I pronounce mm. it Scorsese. Uh, but uh, he, especially when I'm around my film friends, um, but, the, you know, if she was in a Tarantino or a Scorsese, I think that would then, like, it would be kind of like Brendan Fraser style. It would be like, we all love, we already loved her. And now she's back and we're very happy. And similar to Winona Ryder in Stranger Things, like I think she's due for that style of comeback. So we've got the TV comeback, which is great. So now we just need the big screen comeback and uh, she'll be set. Well, knowing Dylan's favourite directors, I think he wouldn't mind a bit of Tarantino or Marty. Hey, hey Dylan. Yeah, man. I think, I think she'd been in quite well in Tarantino's last film. Absolutely. Yeah. Throw her in. Throw everyone in. <laughs> now, given that Dylan and I have already reviewed Speed Racer. I think it was episode four or five, Dylan. It was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, I think it was my second episode we did. Oh, wow, yeah. I wanted to talk about it as soon as possible. (laughs) You didn't waste any time, did you? Um, We really did want a guest on on today to give this episode a different flavour because if it was just Dylan and me, we'd end up saying the same stuff again. So so please, Cam, your views, memories, perspective, very much um, wanted today. Um, also, I've been in the sun today at the footy, then I had a big Taco Bell feed afterwards, so I'm a bit compromised in that respect, so I'm really throwing it over to you guys to keep the show afloat, okay? <laughs> I, love that. I love how we're doing this pod under a, a Taco Bell haze, which I've never <laughs> experienced before, so I hope you can take us to some some interesting new places. Look, well, ask some questions, then I might put myself on mute, and love to you guys. Um, Dylan... I think maybe we could start off with the Speed Racer overview. This film wasn't the first ever Speed Racer. It came from a, a long line of media. What, what's your perspective on all that? Please take it away. Well, I believe it was an anime originally from the 1960s, and I believe it was called Mac Go 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 in Japan. And then we got the dubbed cartoon version of it, and it was called Speed Racer. And we were off to the races from there, basically. <laughs> it became a media institution. Okay, terrific. Um, and this this film, two thousand eight, Wachowskis. What's the sort of background to it that you know of? Well, I'll give you the plot synopsis, mate. 
from IMDb. And I'm going to say it drastically undersells how much shit happens in this movie. <laughs> so we got from IMDb, young driver, speed racer, aspires to be champion of the racing world with the help of his family and his high-tech Mark V automobile. Is that it, is it? Apparently, yeah. It doesn't touch on any bloody underworld conspiracies <laughs> or the melodrama that happens, dead brothers getting plastic surgery. None of that touched on, but we'll touch on that today. Okay, terrific. Hey, Dylan, I do remember, just very, very briefly, you watched the cartoon a bit as a kid in some capacity, right? Yeah, man. I used to watch it a lot when I was very young. I hardly remember any of it. Um, I do remember the animation was very limited. Yeah. Very limited. And the theme song kicked ass. It's a great theme song. <laughs> but that's that's half the battle, isn't it, with the, the TV show, really? Yeah, especially in anime, too. They live yeah. and die on the theme song sometimes. All right, Cam. What's, what's your experience with the original Speed Race before we get to the 2008 film? It's very similar, but I do remember the anime, but mainly the opening theme and just like stills of the show. Like, I don't remember any plot lines or what it was about, but I do remember, I guess, like the iconography of the show. So like, the you know, the different colors that they use, the, the, what the car looked like. But, and I can't even, like I'm racking my brain, I can't even remember how I even saw it or where it was in Australia because I was an Astro Boy kid, which mm. I know they used mm. to play Astro Boy on the uh, after-school lineup on the ABC, and it was usually late. It was like right – it was kind of squeezed somewhere before like Roger Ramjet, right before like it was like kids out, adults mm. programming back in, <laughs> uh, pre the pre-dinner time. You know, like as soon as you had the Roger Ramjet theme, like your stomach was just like, it's dinner, like let's go, like let's do it. Um, but I, but I, it's in that hazy space where I definitely remember Astro Boy being on the ABC, but it was either in the morning or in the afternoon. Mm. And then because the animation is so similar to Speed Racer, I think my brain then thinks, oh, we also watch Speed Racer too. But I think I may have just seen it randomly in places like, I've got no idea where, and it's just fused in my brain. It's like all the same thing. Um, mm. But I definitely had some awareness of Speed Racer, but I think as Warner Brothers would, would soon learn, uh, not quite enough to justify a $150 million uh, movie. They're, they were banking clearly on, on something there, weren't they? Absolutely, yeah. And I think, you know, that's one of the most interesting things about this film is that they really went all in on something that may have just been everything I just described, like a, a cartoon series that people vaguely remembered. Uh, but, you know, if you went up to most people on the street, they'd go, oh, I know what the car looks like, but that's about it. And the Wachowskis are coming off a, a massive hit, The Matrix. Um, well, the first Matrix was, was massive, and then the series overall is um, obviously well-respected, but those last two films, you know, we don't have to go into it, but um, it fell off a little bit in terms of critically and I think financially to a, to a degree. But there was enough confidence in the Wachowskis to to give them basically whatever they wanted next. And I, I guess that's what you get when you make The Matrix, like you do get that freedom. Um, do, do we think they did the right thing, Dylan? Do you, do you think this was worth it? A blank check movie? Yeah, absolutely. 
<laughs> they get uh, to do whatever they wanted. They clearly filmed it however they wanted because it is amazing with how it's filmed and all the editing choices and colour, making like the entire world 2008 CGI, which has aged terribly but also spectacularly at the same time. I can't I can't heap enough praise on them for doing this to be honest. Look, it's a it's a massive, massive swing. Cam, do you think the swing paid off? I think like like full disclosure here, like from the get go, I, I the first time I saw Speed Racer, I was into it. Like I was I was like, they've done it. Because I think the Wachowskis and have a certain like the way that they make films, the style that they make them in is very similar to like I would describe them as you know they're very similar to like George Miller's like action mindset. Like they just know how to direct like really interesting kinetic action and all of their films. Even you know, and I've come around to the Matrix sequels as I've gotten older. I mean, the highway chase sequence in the second one yeah. is spectacular. Like you go back and watch that, and you're like. How did, how did I forget this existed, like, within this series? It's just spectacular. But even some of their misses, like, even in something like Jupiter Ascending, uh, which I've got a lot of time for as well, like, even the action se- like the action sequences in their film are still miles ahead of most action sequences in every other kind of mainstream film. And so I've always got time for them. I think aesthetically, though, with Speed Racer, it is... I mean, I was thinking about this earlier today. I was thinking, you know... Speed Racer is just a Barbie movie on wheels, right? It's like aesthetically, it's very, very similar. And it's got the same color palette and it's got the same kind of like over the top uh, everything, right? But for some reason in 2008, and I was looking at what were the most popular films of 2008, like the number one film of that year was The Dark Knight. So I'm like, okay, obviously as as a big audience, as audiences worldwide, we're in a different mindset from what we wanted from like big budget movies. Uh, which is super interesting. So I'm like, okay, if everyone's if everyone's in the Dark Knight mindset, Speed Race has got no chance. Which is kind of why I'm so glad that it's kind of it's got this second and third life now, where people are kind of like reevaluating it and reappreciating it. And I totally agree. I think some of the choices in this movie, especially like them just shooting against all green screen in in sequences that probably shouldn't have been shot in all green screen. I think they probably could have built. You know, there's a scene early in the film where. Uh, Speed Racer, first name Speed, last name Racer, is being picked up from school by his brother and his brother's just standing in the street in front of the Mark V and you can tell the only thing that's real in the shot is the Mark V, right? Mm. They could have they could have built a set of the house or the street, you know, to give to bridge the gap between the kind of green screen world and the kind of the really beautiful aesthetics that this film has in its kind of costume and set design. And so it's one of those things where you kind of wish they'd kind of thought of it more about that rather than losing their brains in in green screen but at the same time i just think you know yeah it's a really 2008 was there's so many was so many great movies came out in that year but you, you look at the box office and you kind of go yeah it was a really different mindset where like something like speed racer probably had no chance um, and it's also really interesting because in 2008, Iron Man came out as well, which kickstarted the whole MCU nightmare that we now live in. So it's, it's one of those things where in hindsight, like hindsight's a beautiful thing, but it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't know if Speed Racer ever had a chance, but I'm glad that it, it's been kind of like 
reappreciated since it came out. But you know, not to brag, I was there. I was there from day one. I was a fan with my little speed racer flag. So um, I'm, so, I'm waiting for my cultural points. <laughs> so were you excited before it came out? You obviously knew about it and was were intrigued. What was the marketing like? How did you hear about it? Yeah. So the only reason why I knew about this was because in 2008, like kind of like the internet had kind of evolved into like social media. Like I think Twitter was on the rise during that period of time. I think like Twitter's rise period is roughly between, I think it's like 2006 to 2010 was when it was like, it was all about Twitter. And like, you know, I think I looked up like what were the top words of 2008 and one of them was tweet. And I was like, ah, oh, such precious times. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's one of those things where, um, you know, the internet, like we'd kind of gone through that phase where like the whole like film internet journalist thing had kind of come and gone pretty quickly, but there were still a few websites that had like prominence. Like you could go to a lot of film websites, including like IMDB and like all these other websites, which have now kind of fallen out of favor, but you could go and like read, like read reviews from like amateur writers and you could go and like um, look at like leaked set photos or just read things online about movies. And I remember Speed Racer was one of those films that was like on in the bubble of this is either going to be amazing or a disaster and any information that came out about it, like there'd always be like articles on these film websites saying like, oh, like here's what um, this character looks like. Here's what John Goodman looks like in Speed Racer. And you'd kind of be like, oh, I want to see what that looks like because you were just curious as to like what it might look like. And because obviously it was the Wachowskis, like anything that was like, you know, even V from Vendetta, which they didn't direct, they only wrote. I remember when that movie came out and all the trailers and all the posters were just like from the minds of the Matrix. And you could just see that post-Matrix, anything that they touched was considered to be the next big thing. And then as soon as Speed Racer was not only that thing, but it was also like written and directed by them. Just, you know, I think everyone had some interest in it purely because I think everyone was still on that like Matrix high. Like even if you were burnt by the sequels, um, you still craved like something new from the the creators of the Matrix, right? Now I remember seeing a Margaret and David review of Speed Racer, <laughs> so that was my only interaction with it. And I, I tried to find it this afternoon. And I think if I tried a bit harder and longer, I, I probably could have found a clip of it somewhere. But it's quite quite disturbing. We don't have an archive of those reviews, given that it was such an institution down here for so long. Mm. It's a real shame. But from my memory, I think they were a bit perplexed by the movie, which I think for the traditional film reviewer, it probably is a bit weird, isn't it? And and that's my impression of the of the critical reception. What, what was it like, Cam, when you when you saw it, when you talked to your friends and your inter- interpretation of that media cycle back then? Yeah, it was. I was living in a really small town when Speed Racer came. I was living in kind of like a like a semi regional town that only had one cinema. Um, and so there was only like, it was like, there weren't many people to kind of discuss uh, movies with, but there was one guy that, that I knew that was like really into movies. So I'd I'd chat about with things and we, we were kind of talking about speed racer. And I remember he had seen, he had seen it 
um, before me because he kind of worked in the, he kind of worked at this local cinema and sometimes got to go to like conventions and, and they do these like exhibitor conventions where they'll show off like, you know, the big movies coming out in the next 12 months to get like cinema owners excited. And I remember he saw it and he texted me and said he thought it was like one of the best movies he'd seen recently. But then he's like, nobody's going to get it. Like he's like, everyone's going to hate this movie so much because it's so crazy. And then he was like, you know, you know, I was like, give me some other sage wisdom because he seemed to know what was going on. But I just remember even that initial reaction, which then translated to online. I remember reading people saying from like people that would go to see like test screenings and then they'd like write reviews on like these internet movie websites and they would kind of say oh i got out of a screening of of speed racer and it's like bonkers it's crazy good and like you'd read these like really hype reactions online but then i like i don't think i was plugged in enough to kind of like the internet and then what was going on in film culture as a whole at the time but i do remember it distinct I, i do remember kind of the weekend that it came out and like kind of i remember casually looking up like how much money it had made or something like on like box office mojo or something at the time but it was like i remember it was just like bad it was just like bad vibes all around it was like it wasn't making any money and i think obviously i think didn't did iron man or like some big movie came out the same weekend that it came out so i remember like there was also other movies that just completely swallowed it in terms of like where the conversation was so at the time i just remember like it, it had kind of come out and I was kind of like, oh, that's really interesting. Um, and I had obviously seen it, but it was one of those things where like, I didn't really know like how bad it really was like worldwide. And then obviously like doing research on it, cause I was living in such a small town, I wasn't touched by any of the, mar- like the mass marketing for it. And I don't think we got that in Australia either. Like I, cause like there's a joke in the Lego movie where they go, uh, they go, oh, like, um, this is some of our, these are some of our past failures and it flicks up really quickly, like all the product Lego lines that have been discontinued for whatever reason. And then the, I think the very last shot before it goes back after the montage is of a speed racer Lego set. And so when I saw the Lego movie, that's when I kind of was like, oh, wow, they actually made Lego sets of this movie and toys. Mm-hmm. And it was much bigger than like I had a original, just because I think at the time I was I wasn't living in a town where it was like you know you'd walk into a toy shop because there wasn't a toy shop, um you'd walk into a toy shop and then just be like speed racer like smacking you in the face. So yeah, it wasn't until the Lego Movie came out that I actually kind of really understood the scale of like how big a failure Speed Racer was from like a marketing merchandising point of view because apparently they sold like the rights to, the licensing rights to make every single type of toy for it. Um, to like almost every single company prior to its release. So yeah, the stakes were so much bigger than just like selling tickets. Like they had to sell like lunch boxes and pajamas too. <laughs> oh no. Wow. Um, that, that's fascinating. And I, I feel like sometimes the media in, you know, whatever you mean by the media, but like every now and then a movie sort of gets a bad reputation and I think people can sort of, smell blood in the water and yeah so absolutely yeah and then they, they want to they sort of don't mind writing the, the death of a movie and I, I feel like that might have happened here um especially something's a bit weird and too 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 quirky and even this one coming from an anime source i think that can be enough like to to get people a bit offside to begin with um and it, it, it's a bit of a shame because i feel like you know, we should be excited when when uh, big companies at least take a risk on on something that's a bit bit different, but um, 
that's that's having said that, I feel like the movie there's something just a bit off with it. Like I want to like it so much more than I do. Um, Dylan, you've watched it how many times now? Uh, I think this is my tenth overall. Tenth overall, and it's, it's still holding up for you. Oh, mate, as great as it's ever been. That that last like two minutes of that final race gets me every time. It's like the most inspirational shit that's ever been put to film in history. <laughs> it's amazing. You want to you want to counter that, Cam, or do you want to support that? What, what do you reckon? <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally agree. There are so many sequences within this film. Like, even when I was re-watching it for this podcast, I was the scene where they kind of go into the, the, the offbeat circuit in order to get back into the main one, and they're kind of going through that desert part. I was like, this is Mad Max Fury Road. I was like, this looks exactly <laughs> like... And then I had to, I was like, which one came out? Like, my brain then scrambled. I was like, which one came out first? And I was like... If, it, if this came out in 2008 and Fury Road didn't come out until 2015, and we all know that Fury Road had a really long, like, mm. nightmarish yeah. development path, but that made me go, like, you know, were, was George Miller watching an early? Because, you know, George Miller's like a big Warner Brothers guy. Was mm. he watching an early cut, early cut of Speed Racer going, holy shit, they've beaten me to it, so I'm going to have to, like, up, I'm going to have to put some um, fucking, like, bendy poles on the back of the truck to, to, like, top this. But, yeah, there are some sequences in this that make that make me go, like, wow, like, this is incredible um, for its time. And then I guess, yeah, because when you watch this film, you're always in a negative mindset. Even when you're explaining it to people, you're like, oh, we're going to watch Speed Racer, and it's like, oh, it's like, you know, oh, isn't and people automatically go, isn't this movie, like, really bad? And you're like, no, it's not. Um, but there are so many just outstanding sequences probably for me what great in this movie the most is that it's got such a propulsive like uh, energy to it with all of the action sequences and the way that you know it's intercut and it almost is kind of like unfolding like a like an anime comic book mm. uh, the only other film to mind that i could remember that had attempted something like it was ang lee's hulk where he kind of tried to make it all look like a comic book um and so i was like ah oh, but what really kind of sucks the life out of Speed Racer is all of the scenes that play out in between that kind of, uh, I guess, are them trying to add a little bit more depth to their characters, but they're just these, they kind of, every scene feels like it's just running two or three minutes too long before it then jumps back into the next big kind of like action set piece. And then obviously the biggest defense of this film, which is a similar defense that people had with Phantom Menace, is that, ah, guys, relax, it's a kid's movie. And so that also too is in play. And then there are so many great moments in this film, especially with the younger brother and the monkey, that it's one of those things where you can't, like those bits, I feel like there's no room for those moments in a lot of live action movies, even kids' movies nowadays. Like they don't even take, like that whole sequence in Speed Racer where um, the brother, they're watching that cartoon on TV and then they're like acting it out and it's like this crazy like, they're like fighting in their pajamas. Like it feels like a lot of movies now don't have room for those kind of little weird moments anymore. So just, yeah, rewatching it. A, I was blown away by how much stuff, like how many sequences it kind of predated in terms of like things that I thought I'd seen in other movies I'd seen in this movie. And then just kind of the, you know, it is propulsive and exciting, but there are so many scenes in it that I would just like, Oh God, like this, this father and son speech is like way too long, <laughs> you know, like where's the, when are they going to get back to the action? Where, where is this like really exciting movie that I remembered? Well, that, that's my thing about it. I, I think I agree. There are some amazing sequences. I think it kind of comes down to the acting personally or, or the direction of the performances that we get, because 
I kind of feel like not everyone's in the same movie. I feel like John Goodman just can't help but be amazing, and he he gets it right because <laughs> he's him. never been bad. Exactly right, and I I think that Susan Sarandon's pretty good. I feel like her character maybe doesn't get too much to do. She's just a mum, sadly. I think um, Speed Racer himself, Neil Hirsch, he's a bit of a blank, um, blankness. He's just a blank slate yeah. for a lot of that hap- of the the. He's the protagonist doing the things. Not too much depth is is generated. I'm not a fan of Spritel. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't like the younger brother. <laughs> you see much for me. Um, I, I I do find annoying kids in movies to be quite grating. So he's like the most annoying I've ever seen. So, but I, I feel like every time he's on, it sort of drags. And I agree. Some of the other sequences in between the amazing sequences drag as well. But I just feel like if everybody had been in the same movie in terms of acting styles, everything else could have hung together, but it just does not quite do that for me. Um, Dylan, where do you land on Spritel? We've got two different opinions here now. No, you know, I, I'll be honest, I'm kind of in between. Um, he's worn me down after 10 viewings. <laughs> <laughs> he's fine. Like... You know, when I first watched it, he yeah, he really annoyed me to no end, to be honest. But now, for the most part, he's good. It still shits me off that last shot of the movie where we're about to get, you know, Speed Racer kissing Trixie with, you know, millions of mobs mm. going off at the finish line. Then they just come in for this, like, lame joke about cooties. I'm like, oh, God. That shits me off every time. But for the most part, he's all right, you know. So, so why do you like him, Cam? I'm sorry I have to ask this question. <laughs> is it just the the um, the um uniqueness of that sort of character or what, what's the go? I don't know what it is. I think it's just because he, I, I can't tell if he's meant to be, I think he's meant to be the kind of like avatar for like the kids in the audience. So like yeah. every movie that is kind of aimed at kids, there always has to be at least one character that like, the younger audience can project onto. So if you do Speed Racer without a kid character, it's the kids are just going to be looking for themselves in the movie and not being able to go, like, get into it as much, I think. And the way that they kind of work kids into, like, it happens a lot. I find it's happening a lot with the later phase Marvel movies. There's always, like, really precocious kid characters like i think mm. thor love and thunder like mm. they they built a whole like uh, like spoilers for that movie but they built like a whole like kid army into that movie and i think it was just to keep kids happy like with with what was going on in that movie um and i also find in a lot of other movies too if they can't write the character of the kid into the movie they'll have a scene where it's like so this would be speed racer's version version of this if they didn't have the younger brother character they would have had a scene where speed racer does something and it's like a kid in a car with like an ice cream cone and like speed racer comes past and the kid goes whoa and they go daddy daddy i just saw the best yeah. person i've ever seen in my life and then kids go like oh that could be me like in board in my car looking out the window and seeing like speed racer or batman or iron man or something like that so i think he plays a really important role in terms of like kind of he kind of reminds you of like what the film (laughs) who the film is really for um and obviously this backfires all the time like you know obviously uh jake lloyd in phantom menace you know like you know that yippee sends chills down my spine even though i've come around to those movies (laughs) um on rewatches um and even you know something like um superman returns like that became like a that was like a meme for a while you know the kid like people really hated 
what they did in that movie by kind of writing a kid into the movie and and having that kid play such a big role within the story and so but yeah i do i do like you know in terms of like you know tropes you know having a kid character for the audience to project onto is you know it's kind of sometimes it's done really badly but i find in speed racer it's done really well because it just keeps reminding you like what the essence of the film is like as you know you can go from a really action-packed kind of car sequence into kid like him going like we got to try and do like a heist on these lollies and then you can't you, you kind of go like oh yeah this movie's meant to be fun it's not meant to be like which brings probably to the next point which is the story of this film um if they were aiming this at a younger audience or a younger at heart audience, the whole concept of, you know, uh, rigging races in order to manipulate the stock market is even above above my head. Like, <laughs> I think oh, no. I, I think the f- no. first time I watched it, I didn't get it at all. Like, I just went with it. I was like, people are bad. Race people bad. Race is bad. Um, Speedy's <laughs> got to win. That was like the way I. But every time I rewatched it the sequence where he kind of monologues about what's really going on with the races. I'm always like, I put my little like thinking cap on and I'm like, I'm really going to pay attention this time to try and figure it out because each time I'm like this on this what viewing, I'm going to figure out what the damn plot is. Dylan, you've watched it 10 times. Do you follow that bit? Look, I, I do. I will admit, I get a little bit entranced by Roger Allen during that sequence because he is, He's putting in career work, by the way. Fantastic. In this movie. Arguably his best performance of all time. I'll put it out there. Just the the absolute malice he drips as soon as he turns, as soon as Speed rejects him, and he just becomes the most despicable man on the planet. <laughs> just instantly. I love it. That being said, he does talk very fast during that sequence, and there is a lot happening. Like he's talking about like sixty years worth of corruption in the racing world. It's like, bro, I just want to see Speed Racer go fast. <laughs> Daddy, is this over? Like that—that's the moment where kids are like, "When are they going to be racing?" Yeah. Like they—it's like a kid next to you, like crying, and you're like, "Oh, soon, soon." <laughs> Because well, I used I used to hate that they intercut that bloody lolly heist as you call it with Spinal Racer, in amongst that whole Roger Allen turning speech, but I get it now because a hundred percent kids would just have dropped off at that point. Mm-hmm. Like, what what is happening? Why is this man talking this nonsense? I don't understand. <laughs> it is quite complex. Now you, you put it that way, Cam. Maybe I thought I just thought I was dumb, didn't get that bit. But now you're right. It's, nah, it's yeah. way more like I've and I've. Like, you know, sometimes you'll hear stories about, like, movies in production. Like, here's a good example of this. I was um, listening to the screenwriter David talk about uh, the work that he did on the first Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. And he got fired off that movie a bunch of times because Tom Cruise really wanted to bring in this other guy to write it because he felt the plot wasn't complicated enough or it wasn't complex enough. Mm-hmm. So it's this battle between, like, complexity versus like clarity of story and i think like you know plot wise that first mission impossible it does have so many kind of like twists and turns to it um that i can't fathom i think like david coet was right he's like it's already we've already got quite a few big twists here mm. if we overcomplicate it anymore we're going to lose people and he kind of talks about going into battles with tom cruise over that and it's really interesting because i think he was right and he ultimately won out because if you add one more little twist or one more little uh, complex moment to that 
Mission Impossible movie, I think you would have lost so many people. You would have lost people because it's such a fun movie. Um, and I feel like we, it's the opposite with Speed Racer. I feel like they made it so overly complex that all they had to do was like take 10% off and they would have, like, even if it was just like, even if it was just like, you know, the racing world is corrupt and that is enough. Like it's yeah. just corrupt and, you know, people, races are their lives and, and their families are at risk because we're seeing these like thugs, these, these people that have corrupt the world, like taking out their kind of vengeance on these people for not doing what they want them to do. I feel like that would have been enough. Like just knowing that Speedy's family is in danger if he doesn't do what these guys tell him to do, that feels like enough. But then to be like, oh no, we're going to drive up the stock the stock price and and there's going to be this corporate it's once you start getting into like succession territory where you're like talking about corporate takeovers and 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 people profiting off this you're just kind of like yeah you you've even like you've lost you've lost so many people and that might be a thing to it too it's that already it's a hard this film is such a hard sell because it just looks insane and then you kind of and then once you start going like oh it's corrupt and there's and you know the share market is like the the almighty like thing that we all obey i'm just like oh god like this is way too much i'm like if they added like a really big trend in that kind of like late 90s early 2000s in big movies was like nanobots i was like if they added in like nanobots <laughs> as well i would i would have been like this is the worst movie ever <laughs> It's true. You don't see nanobots as much these days, do you? I wonder where they've all gone. Oh, uh, they 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 are always ready to come back. I think um, I think it was what was uh, there was a that remake of the day the Earth stood still had nanobots in it, and then I think one of the James Bonds like went nanobot. One of the later James like one of the Pierce Brosnans went nanobot. I think uh, there's yeah, it was such a big trend in the late nineties, like early two thousands, especially with like big budget um kind of blockbuster movies like that had some kind of like thriller science fiction angle to it it was always kind of like the big the big MacGuffin or the big bad was working on something and it was like (laughs) yeah it was always like nanobots (laughs) hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If we could just get back to Spridal for a second... I think one thing, you put forward a very good defense, Cam, and i give you points for that. The thing that sort of doesn't quite work for me as well as him being annoying is that I don't really <laughs> buy the relationship between him and Speed because I get the feeling Speed doesn't really like him. And in that bit you talked about, Dylan, at the end where Speed's up on the podium, he's finally won, and old mate Spiral comes up, and they just sort of have an awkward hug 
it's not like they're two brothers who love each other and this is their crowning achievement. It's just like, oh, hey, buddy. Okay, there you go. You go on the side now. <laughs> it just doesn't quite work for me, that relationship. Well, we have to have... Well, this is where we get to the... This is, this is the real talk segment, mm. which is, uh, was he an accident? It's right off. Oh, 100%. Definitely. Because there is... there is that thing. Yeah, there is a significant... Age, like, I get age difference is always the first red flag. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we're not saying these things are bad. We're saying that these things happen, you know. Um, you know, you go to a New Year's Eve party, you say you're not going to have any more children, and things happen, right? It happens. Uh, but I think... Alani, you are onto something here because I think the way that Speedy reacts to him, the fact that he has a chimpanzee as a companion probably is hinting at the fact that he, at some point, the parents went, oh, no, one in the, no one in this family really wanted this kid. Mm. His brother doesn't even like him. <laughs> we need to get him a chimpanzee brother. <laughs> and also we need to somehow keep him kind of like, part of the family but not really it's it's such a <laughs> bizarre it's such a bizarre once you start thinking about the dynamic of his role in the family and the fact mm. that they are grieving the older brother as well there's also that is that he's potentially a rainbow baby as well yeah. which is one of those which is which is also a thing so <laughs> again <laughs> there's no room in this movie to kind of get into the nuances of that but i think the more you watch it and if you are annoyed by that character that's where your brain starts going to places of like the fuck's going on with this kid and like <laughs> how did he end up in the family oh, very much so um dylan i remember you quite liked john goodman in this film yeah of course mate is it just because that of the non-jaw line <laughs> i think it's in spite of that to be <laughs> honest that's one of my favourite parts. A, I know, I know, and I hate him for it. But, <laughs> you know, I, I think he's just doing classic John Goodman stuff. He's just bringing a lot of heartfelt performance to the role. Mm. I, I think the character's good as well. Like He's just a, a dad that loves his family, wants to protect his family above all else. Um, even when Speed goes against him and goes into the like, back alley like rally racing world, mm. when he explicitly told him not to and he finds out, he gets pissed at him, rightfully. But then at the end of the day, he's like, hmm, you know, bet that Mark Five's not doing too well. What'd you do to it? <laughs> and Spade's like, well, you know, I was drifting a bit left. I put in some defense mechanisms. Like, yeah, thought so. He goes off and fixes it for him. He's a good dad at the end of the day. Yeah. That's all you can ask for. I'm guessing you're a big fan of John Goodman because you're a human being with a heart, Cam. Yeah, and I, I, when I was re-watching this, it made me realise, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I just finished watching the uh, latest season of The Righteous Gemstones where mm. uh, John Goodman plays kind of like the leader of the, of the family in that show. Mm. And I was thinking, man, John Goodman has never given a bad performance. Like I was trying to think like through his career, like certainly he's been in things that haven't been that great, but consistently he's always been good. Like he's never, he's, you never see him in something and go, wow, John Goodman's really dragging this down. Like he never does. And I think the day that happens is the day that I'm like out. I'll be like, I retire. But he is just so consistently good. And it makes, makes me think now, cause he's, you know, he's, quite he's getting a little he's not old but he's older um i just really hope i really hope he knows how great he is 
um, in the same way that, you know, a lot of actors, and we're talking about this with Ricci before, wanting to see her in a Tarantino or a Scorsese, you know, I feel like I hope Goodman has that period where he gets to experience, similar to what happened with Matthew McConaughey, he gets yeah. that 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 wave of people just going like, he's so good and he's why. I feel like it's kind of happening, happening with Righteous Gemstones. It's a HBO show that a lot of people are, are discovering post-succession because, you know, HBO made a bad decision and they kind of put Succession and Righteous Gemstones out there as, in a bake-off because they're both very similar themed shows. Mm-hmm. One's just a little bit sillier and wackier than the other one. Um, but John Goodman is just, like, so good in that show that it just reminds you to go and, like, rediscover some of his films and hope that he keeps appearing in things because he's just great. Even when he was in Kong Skull Island, he was only in that mm-hmm. for, like, a short period of time. But it was, like he kind of grounded a lot of the beginning of that movie, which ended up being so correct, kind of similar to Speed Racer, so crazy and over the top. But he does all that hard work of making you really buy into something. And I think that's what the role he kind of plays in Speed Racer. Like he, like, like we just discussed, like he is like the good dad. And that's like, if you want to get people hooked on, on characters and story, like just that's all you need that character. You know, you need that kind of righteous uh, father character and also his moustache in this movie oh. is just perfect like you cannot like they must have had somebody on set with a spirit meter kind of measuring <laughs> it on a day-to-day basis going like do we have a Goodman quality moustache consistently throughout this movie if we can achieve that like who give, gives a shit what the critics say like this movie <laughs> has already succeeded no you're totally right I think there's um something about John Goodman is that he's always so good and so consistent that we, we're taken for granted, I think, as a yeah. movie guy in public. If he was someone who did, you know, give us some bad performances and then gave us, like, a John Goodman quality performance, we'd be like, amazing, he's so good. But because he gives us that every single time, we just sort of we just sort of go with it. And I, I agree. Hopefully he does have a sort of an Oscar run or, or real research yeah. because he deserves it. Yeah, so I know that you know, we haven't really seen it here in Australia, but I know that, you know, obviously he was in Roseanne and then they bought that show back and then they mm. fired her and then they kind of built, they rebuilt that show around him. But obviously I've never seen, like, I think it's called The Connors, I've never seen any of that show kind of appear on this side of the world enough to go, oh, great, like this is this is like awesome. But, uh, you know, by all reports, like he he seems to carry a lot of whatever that was. Um, but yeah, let's, let's, I don't know, can we get him and Ricci in a Scorsese? Like we need, we need that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know off the top of my head, but I did see the trailer for like the new Scorsese, uh, Flowers of the Killing Moon act. And mm. it, I, I don't know if I, I think it might be because just De Niro was just chomping so much in that trailer, but I, I don't know if Goodman is in that movie or not, but I'm going to. I'm going to look it up and see, but it felt like he was, but I don't know if he is. So I'm sorry if I'm getting people excited about that right now, but I feel like, I feel like I'm just manifesting it now. I'm just kind of like putting it out there. I'm like, just put him in, put him in something that's going to give him that, that Oscar run or something. Yeah. He's obviously got a lot of that classic run with the Coen brothers. Mm. Um, yeah. I think he's overdue for a big resurgence. Um, I, I guess it's about time we talked about Christina, given that she's the reason for us being here today. Mm. Dylan, on your, on your 10th run through and through the lens of the Christina Chronicles, how is she shaping up? You know what? She did really well in this movie. I really liked it. I kind of wish she had a bit more to do. 
Yeah. She doesn't really do anything until um, the back half. And even then in the last race, she's just kind of just sitting in the stands until it's ready for the kiss. But what she did get to do, she's a bit cheeky, you know. She's a bit coy with speed at times, but she also gets the job done when she has to, when she has to take over and race. Mm. She's racing with all of them, as good as anyone. What, what's your view on Christina in this film, Cam? Uh, that haircut is, I think she's the only one that can pull it off. That like really sharp <laughs> yeah, pixie, not, it's not a pixie cut, but it's like a bob. Um, and if someone told me that was a wig, I'd be so depressed. Like, I, I feel like, because a lot of times in movies when people have, like, a really distinct haircut, it is a wig because they don't want to do the continuity. Mm. But it just feels like they, they really went for it with that haircut um, to try and make it as, like, real as possible. Because, uh, yeah, obviously so much of the movie is, like, done in digital that, like, it's like, okay, we're going to have a really kick-ass haircut on Christina Ricci. And she's just got, like, the perfect face for it. And she just pulls it off so well that I am keen to know if anyone did go to a hairdresser and try and ask for that haircut after seeing Speed Racer. I know it could be a very low percentage. But, um, you know, I wish I did. I wish I did go and ask for that haircut. I wish it did become, like, the Rachel from Friends. It did become a haircut that kind of defined a generation. But, um yeah, she just pulls it off so well. And I think also, too, I just love the way that they use her voice to kind of lean into the kind of, like, anime side of it. Like, a lot of the time, because a lot of this movie, especially when they're in the stands or when she's in the helicopter, she's obviously reacting and also reacting to nothing. Mm. Like, you know, she's just... Um, have you guys ever heard that thing about, um, like, Michael Jordan when they made Space Jam? It's because he's the only, like, human character it's just him yeah. reacting to nothing and like yeah. how lonely that must have been. And I know they had people in suits for the basketball sequences, mm. but a lot of the time it's just him alone, like reacting to nothing. And and similar to like the Star Wars prequels and a lot of these movies, you've got these great talented actors, uh, like just standing in an empty warehouse, <laughs> like just having What's to, that? having to emote. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, so, that funny famous behind the scenes thing of like Ian McKellen in the Hobbit movies? Where he's yes. just in this green screen room all by himself, and he just breaks down. He just can't handle it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so it's it must be brutal, especially if you come from like a theater background like that. And so the fact that Christina Ricci is like giving these this really great over the top performance to nothing, um, I guess, kind of shows you like you know. And obviously, they would have described things to her, but mm. yeah, a lot of and she gives the films like such a like a nice energy kick, especially during those sequences where you've got so much cross-cutting and you kind of get lost in that uncanny valley of all the cars kind of smashing into each other but then it's like a shot of her in a helicopter and she's like kind of giving running commentary or she's kind of saying things that kind of re-energize your interest in the humans in the movie mm. um so i think she she plays that role um so well uh, some of the room the some of the because speed racer is such a blank slate like you guys mentioned when they kind of do that romantic thing with her because he is so asexual in this movie, I really didn't. I was like, is this any of this necessary? Because I just felt like they had made his character so like, like I was like, I don't think any, I don't think any thoughts about, like, I just didn't buy like him having any thoughts about her romantically because he was such a, um, like, you know, he just was such a blank. He's a one-track you know, mind. Think it, he's just thinking about yeah. racing all the time. He's just thinking about racing the whole time. So, And like, there is, that's the scene where they're sitting in the car together mm. and she and she is, like, beautiful. And 
I think he says something to her like romantic, but then he turns it back to racing. So actually I think <laughs> she's like miles, like, you know, she, like, I'm going to say it, she could do way better than speed racer. Um, he's yeah. She just comes across as being a lot more, uh, even like, you know, she put in the beginning as a kid, she punches another kid, yeah. uh, for talking out of school about speedy and so it's one of those things where it's like he's a bit of a drip and she's got everything going for her so it's i think and i think that all just comes from her performance like i think she's so charismatic and she's so so good in that role and emile hirsch is great too but i think emile hirsch is playing speed racer more kind of like a like kind of like a i'd even say like a steve mcqueen type performance Mm. where it's kind of like the less lines, the better. And he's more about like, just, yeah, yeah, just kind of like staring, looking ahead, saying less in an attempt to be cool, which I think kind of works. But the problem is you can't do that low and slow, minimal dialogue, cool thing. When you've got a movie that's like, Oh my God, speed racer. We're going to, it's like, it's like a movie that's moving at like light speed. And you've got like someone trying to do like a Steve McQueen, like Mm. James Dean kind of like smoldering cool guy performance. So it is a little bit like, I think like you said before, Lonnie, it's like people feel like they're in different movies. Mm. And I think that's just because with certain actors, especially with speed racer, I mean, you know, can you imagine Emil Hirsch going like, what is my character's like motivation? <laughs> and then just going like cars, like, fuck, like leave us alone. We're making a kid's movie. <laughs> like it's one of those things where I don't, I don't know if like he had a lot to work with. Mm. And I think, I think also too, the way that they give his character depth in this film is obviously the dead brother. And so it's one of those things where it's like, he's kind of meant to be grieving and getting over that throughout the whole movie. Yeah. And so I think that's what he's playing, but everyone else is just playing like big, big and bigger. Like they're just giving such big performances and he's just like staring ahead lone tear. And it's just like at odds with the kind of movie they're trying to make. Even though I think Emil Hirsch is like a fantastic performer and is very much in that category of like, I was looking it up before this, like going, ah, why isn't he in more things? Like what, what was he in? And he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I thought he was really good in that, um, in a short appearance, but yeah, he's another actor. I was like, why isn't he in more things? And I think a lot of it is because some of these, these dudes are just all competing against each other for the same role. Uh, and that role is often young Han Solo. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I think, um, the fact that we're getting different performances at different levels, I think it's intentional. Like, I think he is doing as intended with his performance and everyone else is doing the wacky stuff. Mm. I think that was the vibe they were going for. I think it just didn't work, um, sadly. But, I mean, there's not many movies like this. That's one thing I'll say, Dylan. You've obviously got a unique style here that you've been drawn to. Um so I guess what I want to move to now is legacy. And you sort of spoken about a bit already, Cam, that it was ahead of its time and you can see the sort of the precedent that it's set at various points. How do you think history is treating this one, Cam? It's definitely, I mean, we're going to get a speed racer criterion any day now. Like I'm in that mindset of, okay. you know, we're going to see this movie kind of be re-released and re-appreciated, especially considering now, and, and, you know, I mentioned the Barbie movie before, I think it, it's definitely going to only get stronger as people kind of go like, oh, well, if you like that, you're going to love this. And people are kind of going to rediscover 
um, this movie or, or think about it in a different way. And certainly like if you go online, like there's so many people that have written like, you know, in defense of speed racers and a tribute to speed racer and remembering speed racer in a way that like, you know, even if you had the mildest curiosity in this film or you weren't alive when it came out, like we've had kind of a whole generation come along now that are like going to discover a movie like this on a streaming service. And so I definitely think it definitely lives in that space now of like, you know, it's very similar to Josie and the Pussycats. A lot of these movies that kind of when they came out, they flopped and, you know, they were a huge marketing and promo fail. But in hindsight now, a lot of people are kind of discovering them in a way and they're discovering in the way where they're kind of discovering the film, I guess, on the terms that they initially wanted people to discover it on. Like I said, 2008 was kind of, it was a weird year for a movie like Speed Racer to come out because as you can see, people were just like gravitating towards so many other movies. And I was looking at the highest grossing films of 2008 and I was kind of looking for live action uh family films so there was a lot of like animated films that came out in 2008 like wally kung fu panda and madagascar mm. 2 they were all in the top 10 for 2008 but then when you get down into the live action like live action family movies i guess that would compete with speed racer the highest grossing film i guess in that space was one of the chronicles of narnia sequels i think it was a prince caspian came in at number 13 and then you'd have to go down the list to like 22 to get to journey to the center of the earth. And then it's kind of real patchy, but then like speed races at 65. And so I'm kind of like, it couldn't even like, even if you classify it as a kid's family film, it didn't even compete against the other live action uh, family films that were released in 2008 because everyone was so keen on dark Knight, Iron Man, um, even, you know, uh, kingdom of the crystal skull was like the third highest grossing film of 2008 so clearly and also i guess that kind of indicates we were on the cusp of something big like you know the mcu was coming um and i guess also to think the idea of like legacy sequels and um movies that are attached to big franchises they were kind of starting to grow in prominence and you know something like speed racer which you know uh like I said, I think the biggest challenge this film was up against was do people even remember this? And I think the answer was no, which should have given them a good indication. Um, but, yeah, I think now in 2023, I think Speed Racer is in the best position it has ever been in in terms of uh, the way people talk about it and also, I guess, the way that people are open-minded uh, to kind of watching it for the first time and kind of seeing uh, what wasn't seen back in 2008. Yeah, I think a bit of distance is good for a movie like this because you don't have all the pressure of opening weekend and box office and getting good Rotten Tomatoes. If you can just want to go back and sort of seek it out with that analytical part of your brain working, I think it's, it would looks better in the rearview mirror, put it that way. Yeah. Uh, Dylan? Yeah. These last few years, we've had a lot of cuts. The Snyder cut, various directors' cuts by the movies being released. Um, Topher Grace apparently goes and recuts movies all the time. <laughs> I've never seen them, but I've heard of them. Good on him. Yeah, yeah. I would like at some point for you and I to sit down and do a bridal cut of this film. Pretty much take <laughs> out all the bad bits of him and see how we, what we come up with. What do you reckon? I just, I, I don't think it could work. I think he's just, he, he's he's baked into the movie like flour in a cake. He, he's... <laughs> <laughs> inserted into it a lot 
to be honest. And I really think taking him out would, would hurt the pacing, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think Absolutely. It, it'll get very melodramatic without Spinal in there. I think that's what I think the, the melodrama works in this film. I think his little you like? okay. his lolly right. Danny and stuff, that's what pulls me out of it personally. Okay. Look, it's Fair worth enough. a shot, right? You... We could just sit, give it a try. Yeah, okay. Fair <laughs> enough. All right, fine. Um, do you have any thoughts on the legacy of this movie, Dylan? Nothing that hasn't been touched on. I do, I, I think if it had been bigger as well. I think by now we would have kind of seen the filmmaking changed a bit if it had more influence. So, with like, you know how they're doing, like, the shots with editing and, like, there's a character's close-up and then it kind of, instead of cutting to a different shot, they just kind of slide off screen mm. and the other character's mm. shot slides back into it. I think I've, I listened to, like, an interview with the Wachowskis a while ago and they were saying, like, how they wanted to change the grammar of films like if mm. you look at like a cut as like a full stop they wanted to kind of like add like commas right you know so i think if this had been bigger we would have seen more influence on it kind of like how big spider-verse was and how that's starting to influence animated movies now mm. well maybe so hopefully if this gets a bit bigger over time the legacy gets a bit larger well that, films that... themselves will have a bit of a knock-on that's interesting because Maybe this film's lack of success turned people off that approach. But I, I read an interview once, I think it was with Peter Jackson, and he was talking, I think he was talking more about like the different frame rates whenever he tried out for The Hobbit, which I think were yeah. also quite unsuccessful attempts of changing things. But his point was, you know, we're only having this medium around for a hundred ish years. Who's to say we've finished with how it works? Maybe we should try new things and, and see where it, what we come up with. Um, do you think there's room for this film to sort of be the first of a new type of filmmaking, Cam, in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is somebody there is somebody who's probably grown up with this movie and it's like their favourite movie and they want to make films. And so, mm. like, this film has been around long enough to, to be influential on people and it's enough of a, I guess you can say, like, it does have prominence, like, in film culture in terms of, like, the way people talk about it, but it's still kind of considered, like, a, a deep cut, like a cult, like, you know, people mm. describe it as, like, a cult film, which, you know, like, I hate the term cult film because it usually just like it has like it just reminds me of people throwing popcorn at a screen, you know, people throwing things at a screen at a Rocky Horror Picture Show midnight yeah. screening. But it's one of those things where it's like I think it has, it, I think I think it's it's not cult status. It's just people kind of going like, oh yeah, all you people that hated this movie when it came out, like you were wrong, like and that's <laughs> and that's perfectly fine. Like sometimes people get it wrong, like critics get it wrong all the time. And so um, the, the reappreciation, yeah, I hope there is someone that is going to try, and I hope a lot of studios try to, I mean, I hope we're going to see this soon, like where, you know, off the recent success of like the Barbie movie and Oppenheimer and all this that like, you know, my my instinct is they're going to learn all the wrong lessons from that. Mm. But hopefully we do see, you know, because I, I definitely think you can draw a line between Speed Racer and the Barbie movie, 100%. Like there's, they've got a lot in common. Also, I think that Speed Racer lives in a really weird space where it's like, so you got, Phantom Menace comes out in 1999 and George Lucas is just like, put put green screens everywhere. Like, this is the future. And then a lot of films post Phantom Menace are kind of grappling with that. And then Speed Racer was obviously like, we're just going to go all in on this and this because this is the future, right? And it made me think now that how much movies now 
are made like Speed Racer was, but they just look like shit. And a really good example of that is um, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which was definitely made in the same way that Speed Racer was, but has none of the soul, right? It has none of the um, kind of like kinetic energy or it it doesn't justify the means. It doesn't go like, we're going to shoot this thing entirely on kind of green screen and, and, and create this entirely different world that we want people to buy into, but it just looks like trash. And at least Speed Racer, even though the graphics and the, some of the effects have dated, it still looks awesome sometimes. Like if you put you put this on a, you know, if you got a, I used to work on the floor at a, a in the small electronics department of a major store, and if we wanted to sell TVs, we'd either put on Avatar or Speed Racer and just crank up the crank up the <laughs> crank up the <laughs> dynamic display, yeah. right? It's one of those things where it just looks amazing which makes you go okay it was 2008 this film looks amazing yes things date but then you go and put on a movie that was made in the last five years that was has way more sophisticated technology and is using all the same methods and it looks like trash and you're just kind of like what's going on like what like like it's almost like the industry has kind of like devolved in a way, like they've got more technology and they've got more computer power, but they're, they're missing the kind of like the art and soul of making something kind of in the way that Speed Racer attempted to do it. And I think I remember, um, I think Julia Louise Dreyfus put this photo on her Instagram once and it was like she was shooting, she was on a break while shooting like one of the Marvel movies. And it was like a scene on a bridge, but they had built a green screen that went over the bridge to basically create like a 360 green screen because all they needed was the road but the whole they needed to make everything around the road look like another country or something i don't know what the scene is it's in one of the movies that she's in but i remember looking at that just going like holy shit like what what has happened to like filmmaking (laughs) where it's like you know you would just go and find a location that was similar to the one that you needed now it's like no we're just going to build a tent around an actor on a road and we'll just fix it all later it's like it's also similar to the way that they shoot a lot of the live action star wars tv series you know they shoot Mm -hmm. it in a car park with like a 360 like led screen but then you watch those shows and like every action sequence takes place in a in a in a four square block and it's never really that interesting and you're like yeah because they're shooting it in a fucking car park (laughs) so even like the even though they've got all this technology it's still kind of like confining the way that these things get made and i think like speed racer is just a really good flashpoint you can look at it and go hey here's two people um off the back of a huge hit with a ridiculous budget using the technology to the best of their abilities to make something that looks beautiful and then you look at things now and it's like this movie costs $500 million and you're like, and it looks like shit. It's, um, it's a really, so I think in hindsight, Speed Racer definitely stands up because it's kind of like, oh, here's how you utilize the technology um, versus now where it's just like, and eh, we'll fix everything later. Like, ah, just, just mm-hmm. shoot it like this. It's cheap and nasty. We'll fix it. So at least like the Wachowskis cared enough to uh, make it work in Speed Racer. And also I love, yeah, I never thought about Speed Racer in that way of like, it's such a good shout of them trying to at least like start a new conversation about the way that movies could get made. Um, because yeah, I think I never gave the film enough credit, <laughs> never gave it enough credit in that respect because it is so true. Um, and I, yeah, I think I saw that interview about them talking about how they wanted the movie to be like a stream of consciousness. Like it never really, it just kind of, 
and actually what's really fun about this movie too that I love I loved on this rewatch was even in the beginning, like before you see the Warner Brothers logo, you see like it's kind of got like all these like cascading like kaleidoscope like colors spinning around and it's almost like basically saying to you like you're entering like a completely different world than you've ever experienced before and it's like almost like this invitation it's kind of basically saying like even from the film's opening seconds it's basically saying to you like this is not your average um family blockbuster and i think that's so cool so um yeah like i think this movie is just going to continue to kind of grow in people's minds as they discover it and then yeah we're going to get you're going to get some big filmmaker one day, some 26-year-old something, and they're going to go, he's going to be at like the Cannes Film Festival and he's probably made like the best film and they're going to go, oh, what is, your, what is your inspiration? And he's going to go, Speed Racer. And everyone's just going to be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Wow. Very well said as always, Cam. Um, the, the phrase that stuck out to me there especially was art in soul. I liked it a lot. And I think that does sum this up. Um, okay, final question, and I'm going to give you guys two minutes to sort of pitch what you would make. If you're in the same situation as the Wachowskis, where you've made a, a massive blockbuster that everyone loves critically and commercially, you've got a blank check to do whatever you want, what are you going to make? You've got so much capital, what are you going to make, Dylan? Probably, I don't know, I was, I was thinking maybe like, Marvel vs. DC, like finally pulling that trigger. Um, but my heart, on my heart, wants to say, unlimited budget. Mm-hmm. Are you saying that to me right now? Yes. Full artistic creativity. That's it. But you gotta make it good, though. Okay. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> um, I would probably just fully fund a full berserk anime. Okay. It's my favorite manga. It goes for hundreds of chapters, and it's extremely adult as well. So I don't think it's ever going to get the full anime treatment where they do as many episodes as it needs, which is well over probably 200 at this point, and just fully uncut and pure, unadulterated, gorish vision. So I would fund that. Definitely. 100% faithful adaptation of Berserk in anime. Okay, terrific. What about you, Cam? What are you um, using up all your chips on? Okay, you know, how many how many hours have you got? But for me, I was thinking, let's keep it in the realm of Speed Racer. I was thinking, okay, and, you know, the, the big thing everyone's going to be pitching now is movies based on toys, uh-huh. movies based on, you know, the two highest grossing films of 2023 are Barbie and Super Mario Brothers, the movie. So it's like, that's what we're going to get for the next two to three years. So I'm going back to when I was a kid and the, the second hand, third hand toys that I had that, you know, all the parts were missing, but part like, you know, the car still worked and it was pretty cool was uh, there was this toy line that had a cartoon series attached to it. I think even though it could live in that Astro Boy space of like, I just imagined it. <laughs> it's this uh, series called Mask and it was spelled M-A-S-K. And it was basically, it's kind of was similar to Transformers but it was this like group of um, 
It was this group of people called Mask, and they fought against this criminal organization called Venom, which stood for Vicious Evil Network of Mayhem. But it was all <laughs> vehicle based. It was basic, and I think it was like Kenner Toys. Yeah, yeah. Kenner Toys may have put it out, but all the toys were basically like cars that could like do like they had gadgets in them, and and they could like you know launch things out. So it's kind of like so I'll just make a big action blockbuster of Mask. Um, with some kind of like postmodern twist to it. So uh, maybe the movie is about people trying to make a mask movie and like failing, something like that. So something that's like, a, you know, a little bit, because like everything has to be like self-aware now, right? So it's kind of like, you know, you've got self-aware movies like the Lego movie and the Barbie movie. I'm just kind of like, okay, my version of mask is going to be kick-ass Mad Max style action, but it's going to be self-aware enough to uh, be be aware that it's a movie about toys that I half remembered uh, as a kid. So it's probably going to be like the version of that movie that I probably imagined in my mind when I was a kid that has nothing to do with what the actual toys were based on. But if you if you want to go down memory lane, I highly recommend googling M A S K. Um, and you'll see the toys and you'll kind of re- like, you'll remember, you'll kind of go, I remember these, or you may have seen them or like someone's older brother had them. Um, but it was a really cool, um, toy line. And I think it was like, kind of like adjacent to like GI Joe. Mm-hmm. It was like, you either had GI Joe, the like GI eighties, nineties, GI Joes, or you had mask. It was kind of like one, one or the other. And I think GI Joe eventually won out cause it just, <laughs> they had way more shit, but yeah. I do remember these ones quite vividly as a kid, but I had like the diet versions of these toys because they were always like hand-me-downs or like I got them for like a toy fair at a school. So um, <laughs> I can imagine if I get to make this movie, they might let me into some kind of toy library where I'll just be like, holy shit, like that truck has a windscreen. <laughs> like, something like that. So I know a lot of people are probably like, out of all the things you can make, you're going to do that. But I'm just like, ah. Oh. Let's just let's just keep it in the toy space, toy cartoon space at the moment. Amazing, two good options so far. Um, I've mentioned this a little while ago, Dylan. You probably remember, um, but I've got this dream of one day doing a big budget uh, musical, film musical, uh, based around the music of Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell. Oh, that's so good. Um, and it got to the point, Cam, where I would listen to the songs when I was driving around. And like I'd have to, I had to stop eventually because I was getting too obsessed with it and my ideas for it, it was getting too much for me. So and every now and then I, I sort of get the the whiff of meatloaf, I get drawn back in, but I've got to cut myself off because it's just too alluring. Meatloaf the man, not so sure about, but meatloaf the songs, <laughs> amazing stuff. And one day, one day maybe, it's it's got to be coming. I mean they've done what they've done one kind of Broadway stage version of Bad Out of Hell, I think. And, yeah, that's in the jukebox style. But bringing think, the yeah. yeah, bringing the whole discography together though, because mm. uh, yeah, you miss out if you just focus on one album, you miss out on a lot of stuff. So I think yeah, I think you're onto something there. Yeah. Uh, I just need to give myself permission one day to really go for it, so I can <laughs> start driving and listening to it again. It's just too too much, too much for me. No, nah, he's and Milo's music is like very si- vividly like cinematic yes. and. Was it him and – was it, who's the name of the songwriter? Jim, Jim wrote, Steinman. Jim Steinman. And so 
you could also widen it out a bit and include some of his because he wrote a lot of Celine Dion's music as well. Yeah, he, um, he's the real heart and soul of that, really. Yeah, he. You know, no one could blow out a candle like him with a song. <laughs> you know, like you play one of his songs and just candles are going out everywhere. So yeah. he, yeah, I think that kind of like epic musical is definitely something that we need um in this world to make it a, it a better place for sure well there you go we've got speed racer and now three great ideas <laughs> to follow it up <laughs> no i think we summed up speed racer really well but if do you have what do you have one more sentence maybe cam and dylan what do you reckon dylan you go first please you know just a big glorious swing amazing does it get over the fence or Absolutely, home run. All right, the okay. Park, there you go. For me personally, for the world, maybe not. <laughs> okay, what about you, Cam? Final thoughts. I reckon is an example of like pure creative freedom. It is something that is like just like lightning in a bottle, and and we need to see it like a lot more from a lot of our filmmakers that have access to ridiculous budgets uh yeah we need a few more of these just stream of consciousness final cut (laughs) style movies where everyone kind of gave them feedback and they just went nah and even if it's a fail (laughs) even if it's a huge fail i would much rather like a spectacular fail than uh than something that was kind of like mangled into being okay by like a committee like just yeah. let filmmakers like uh spend the money the way they want to spend it <laughs> terrific well thank you so much cam where can we find you if we want to hear more about you and your your musings Ah, oh, where am i these days um well yeah x formerly twitter i'm mr cam w on there if i do make a return um but yeah i have I'll, I'll be tweeting nonsense over there, but hopefully, um, yeah, I've been working on some things lately kind of in the TV space that hopefully might see the light of day eventually. Um, but yeah, I've been working with some really cool people lately on some, um, some different projects that are kind of in various stages of development. And so okay. if I do eventually go back to X with any, um, with any significant news, <laughs> I'll probably, I'll probably go there, but yeah, I've been busy, um, yeah, working on those things, which is probably what has kept me off that cursed website, which is good. So, um, yeah. I look forward to, Hopefully. A, to a tweet from you that either says, Sir, I did a thing, or oh, some God, personal, some personal news. news. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I promise. I promise I'll just, um, I'll promise I'll, uh, I'll try to contextualize it uh, okay. in Speed Racer <laughs> some kind of way. I'll be like, hey, Speed Racer fans. <laughs> That's amazing. And I, and I don't know if we want to put this in, Cam, but we did speak a little bit about a podcast idea you had, which might be in its very, very early days. But if that happens, let us know. We'll be there if, you, if you'll have us, okay? Oh, I think, no, I think you guys are going to be probably, hopefully, my first guests or, or early in the lineup for sure. If it ever comes to fruition, um, I'm going to ask you guys first for sure because I owe you guys big time for uh, letting me blab on, on your show. So, um as always, thanks heaps for having me. And I'm so when you said Speed Racer, I was like, get out of my head! Like, <laughs> like of all the movies that you could have contacted me about, I was like, yeah, Speed Racer is the one that I've always been banging on about for yeah. such a long time to anyone that would listen. So, um, it's been a real honor to come on today and have a chat about it. Oh well, thank you so much. Um, anytime, 
You're welcome. It's been, been a while. It's been too long, probably. We've loved having you. And so we'll have to think up some more ideas to get you back sooner and more often, um, if you can. Dylan, are you also thankful for Cam? Or do you want to say something? Or did I cover right. it? Ab- absolutely. Cam, you, you're the best. It's all time. Best that ever lived. No one tops you, mate. <laughs> all right, Dylan. Um, how do we wrap up the show otherwise? Well, why don't we tell everyone that we're on the socials? Instagram mainly, you know, you'll find us on Facebook, X maybe in the future at some mm-hmm. point, who knows. Um, we're on every podcast app you can imagine. You want a podcast, you want us, we're there. What's <laughs> up? You'll find us. Can't escape us. That's right. We've got we our own a... website. Well, we do, well. mate. We do. Sorry, I ruined your flow there, didn't I? Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's all good. That's all good, mate. Mark the Man wrote us a great theme song that we love. We play it each week. We love him for that. We absolutely do. We've got a big back catalogue. We've got episodes with Cam. We've got other special guests, and we've got the main show and thirty-six episodes of the Christina Chronicles before this. Um, to wrap up, Dylan, I'm going to say I miss you, Christina. I miss you, Christina, as well. And I miss you, Cam. I miss you, Bada Bing, Bada Boom, Speed Racer Forever. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.